Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you needs. An omer to a person according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their own tents. The Israelites did so, some gathering more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, those who gathered much had nothing over. And those who gathered little had no shortage. They gathered as much as each of them needed. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, They gathered it, as much as each needed. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food, two omers apiece. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. And all that is left over, put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning as Moses commanded them. And it did not become foul and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, and they found none. The Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and instructions? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you food for two days, each of you. Stay where you are. Do not leave your place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For your prayer. Today we are uh, studying Sabbath for the fourth Sunday. Um, But in all my reading in scripture this week, I have found that The Bible itself is actually quite repetitive when it comes to many things, but when it comes to Sabbath as well. And I know if you're anything like me, then there's probably not enough time you could devote to trying to understand Sabbath. 
And I'll just be honest right from the start. I have not nailed the rhythm of Sabbath in my own life. My husband and I were talking about this last night. Um, Ways that we might want to adjust. It is an ongoing process and practice. Um, And we've been talking over the last three weeks about different reasons that we have Sabbath. The first set of Sabbath. um, I think that might be making noise. The first set of Sabbath that, that God instilled in creation, in his pattern of creating, creating, and then resting. We know that this is from the beginning, this rhythm that we're supposed to embody in our own lives. We've talked about what it might mean to help each other practice Sabbath, and even some practical ways that we might begin to incorporate those things in our own life. Last week, John Jay provided a little manifesto, a list of practical ways. And just learning to be mindful about who might be challenged, not by their own circumstances, by external forces, to be able to practice Sabbath and how we might help them as a community. Today's passage is really this first commandment of Sabbath for the Israelites. And it comes before we even get to the Ten Commandments. And it feels important That this is the first time God really lays it out for them. You need to practice the Sabbath. Before we get to the promised land, before we do anything else, you've got to learn this. And I actually, I asked the staff if they wouldn't mind if I had us read chapters 1 through 16 today from Exodus. That didn't go over very well with them. My husband was supportive. He said he'd go in the back and kindly usher you back in if you tried to leave if I chose to do that. I will not. I will summarize some key points. But if you are looking for something to read this week, some scripture, I might encourage you to just sit with chapters 1 through 16 with the lens of Sabbath as you read them. It is the story, right, of the Israelites being captive uh, in Egypt. Did I turn it off? Are we going backwards? <laughs> Which button am I supposed to press? <laughs> okay, there we go. Thank you. Um, they are living under Pharaoh's rule. And when I was looking for an image to show the economy of scarcity, not so ironically, this popped up. Apparently there is an actual slot machine game called Pharaoh's Riches. The English teacher in me is dying because it's missing an apostrophe with the word Pharaoh's. But that's beside the point. It kind of makes sense. Pharaoh was kind of missing the boat on a lot of things. But this is representative, right? This slot machine idea, this, this idea of scarcity that we need constantly to acquire more that there's not going to be enough for everyone that no one really is going to have enough and this idea of self-interest and self-preservation this is the lens through which pharaoh views his kingdom and it is the economy through which he rules the israelites and the israelites have become abundant under his rule they keep multiplying despite his efforts um, to limit their population and so he decides he's going to work them harder and harder and harder and that will be the way to kind of keep them under control and to keep uh, production levels high so that in this economy of scarcity he will always have enough that is the world they inhabit 
that is what they is literally beat into them. This economy of scarcity. And it means that there is never enough. Repeatedly, when God brings Moses up to lead the people out of their slavery and their bondage, he goes to Pharaoh multiple times. And over and over again, what he says is, let my people go. When I was in Sunday school growing up and I learned a song about that, that was the end of that sentence. Let my people go. It's fun. You sing this, you know, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh, let my people go. I won't sing, don't worry. But it's important, the rest of this sentence. Let my people go so that they may worship me. Their freedom was inextricably linked to their ability to worship, to rest. They were not allowed to rest and to worship. I mean, literally, Pharaoh was this oppressive to them. But they needed to go so that they could worship God. That was the primary reason they needed to break free. And Pharaoh is not having any of that. He is stubborn. He digs his heels in. That economy of scarcity, man, it is strong. And every time that Moses goes to him, and every time that God does something, sends a plague to show, hey, Pharaoh, I'm God, actually. Pharaoh just digs his heels in even more. And eventually it gets to a point where the plagues are kind of ramping up. So Pharaoh starts to give in a little bit. And he wants to kind of reach a compromise. Okay, fine. They can go worship for three days, but who? Who's going to go? And Moses said, everybody. Men, women, children, families, the whole community, the herds, the flocks. Like, everybody. And Pharaoh has this moment of wisdom and insight and knows that there's going to be something powerful about a whole community engaging in Sabbath rest. And Pharaoh says, oh, no way. Just the men. Just send the men, not the families, not the livestock. And so God sends another plague. The next time around, Pharaoh's still trying to compromise on Sabbath. I don't know if you're like this. Like, I'll have a Sabbath, but I'm not going to quite lay it all down. I'm not going to, like, completely rest. And so Pharaoh says, fine, you can send the families, families, but keep keep the animals here. I'm not letting them go. And again, that's not what the Lord required. And finally, this back and forth with Pharaoh ends with the final plague where God takes the firstborn son of the Egyptians and the Israelites through the Passover are spared. And Pharaoh finally relents and Moses leads the people out of Egypt. And they're on their way to the wilderness. They come to the Red Sea and then Pharaoh, man, that economy of scarcity creeps back in. He changes his mind. What God has done has not been enough to convince him. And so he sends his army after the Israelites. Moses, through God's power, parts the Red Sea. The Israelites go through. And then God sweeps behind them in a pillar of cloud and fire. And the Israel, uh, the Egyptian army is, is swept up in the sea. And so that's where we find ourselves today. The Israelites have made it out. 
Pharaoh is still stuck in his warped thinking about scarcity. And here they are in the wilderness. Of course, after the Red Sea, they immediately praise God. But two months into this deal, where do they find themselves? Painting pictures of Egypt looking back. Would have been better for us to just die there. At least we had some meat. Forgetting all that God had done. Y'all, I don't know if you've lived through any of the plagues mentioned in the Bible in this section, but just to live through one of them, let alone 10, and then the Red Sea, I mean, to already forget God's power and his provision. But don't we find ourselves there? Forgetting all that God has done, questioning in the moment, that economy of scarcity calling back to us. So God has them here and he's got to start from scratch. The people are going to have to learn the unforced rhythm that he has for them. And it is going to start with the very basics, eating and resting. That's all. And this unforced rhythm is actually what should be intuitive. But it has been so long since they lived by it. That they can't remember. I'm going to have Jason pop up here to do a quick demonstration. I was actually going to ask Reggie to do this. Reggie, she's out there. She's one of our youth. She plays the drums and actually played the Rose Parade this year. But I'm preaching on Sabbath. And to her, playing drums on Sunday felt like she was not keeping Sabbath. So I'm going to let her rest. And Jason is not on a Sabbath right now. And so he's going to help me out. There are two different rhythms, the forced rhythm that Pharaoh has given the people and the unforced rhythm that God is trying to get his people to remember. This is the rhythm that he started in Genesis in chapter one with creation. This was the rhythm for all of earth. But Pharaoh has given them this forced rhythm. It's not changing. It sounds like a death march. It is constant. It is beating. It is driving. It is never ceasing. It is never fulfilled. It is monotonous. That is the rhythm of the, of the economy of scarcity. And God says, listen, I'm giving you a new rhythm. And your ear right now may be hearing. You may be just listening to that. We're waiting for it to change. Because intuitively you know It is supposed to change up. It should sound something more like this. There's room for speeding up and slowing down, for pausing, for re-engaging. It is like a dance. There is rhythm that you want to move to. The first has none of that. It feels like death, and it is. Thank you, Jason. God is asking them. Yeah, give him a round of applause. (laughs) God is trying desperately to get them to understand this rhythm. That is why he brought them out so that 
they could worship him, that they could have rest, that they could go back into the unforced rhythm that God always planned. And so he starts with these two things. He says, I'm going to send you manna, this weird flaky stuff. It's going to fall. You're going to collect it. You're going to eat it. This is how it's going to be. And what's interesting about the manna, it's not a very clear picture. That is what I ate for dinner last night on the right. (laughs) I got the recipe from Corey. You should ask her for it later. It's called egg roll in a bowl. But it has um, a mixture of meat and vegetables and um, and all that good stuff, spices and things. And if we really learned how to eat intentionally... I would argue that we don't. That's why we have such a thing as fast food, right? We want convenient, cheap food that we can consume quickly because we've got to move on with our day. But if we really slow down, the very practice of eating could lead us back to our creator in a much bigger, uh, I think more significant way. If, if we really thought about first who prepared this meal. So if my husband thought about me preparing the meal, right? But if we really thought about the hands and the people that were involved in raising the livestock, in planting the vegetables, we'd start thinking about the life that went into that. If we thought about the earth and and creation and the weather and all of the elements of life that created the conditions so that this meal could end up on that table, it would point us back to life and the natural order and then a creator, God gives the Israelites manna. It comes straight down. They didn't plant it. They didn't harvest it. They didn't want nothing. It's just a straight connection. This is straight from your creator. It should have been so obvious. You are eating the Lord's provision every day. The miracle is happening every day. God is with you, providing for you. It is a direct line to their creator. And so he tells them, you're going to collect it six days. On the sixth day, you're going to get twice as much. On the seventh day, you're going to rest. You're going to rest, right? This is why you're here in the first place. You groaned about your labor. You're going to rest. But that's not what happens. That monotonous beat, that fear of scarcity is so embedded in some of them that they're not quite sure. Did God really say he's going to provide every day? Did God really say there's going to be enough? And so some of them collect extra and what happens overnight? They get maggots, worms, it stinks. And you got to wonder those around those few who chose to disobey God, like what they're thinking. Like if it's making them feel anxious too, like, well, so-and-so's saving some for tomorrow. Is that maybe I should save some too? There is a communal aspect when we don't keep Sabbath that makes others feel anxious or unsure too about their own practice. And he tells them again on the seventh day rest, but some of them, they head out to see maybe there's a little extra just to keep a little extra for myself. Make sure I'm good for the next day. They're still not trusting God. That rhythm is so hard to break. In their minds, they still work for Pharaoh. And the scarcity is the only reality they can experience. Some of you may know that we had, uh, there was a movie, kind of a big dog movie. It's 
Top Gun 2 was filmed here in the fall. And it was like this very secret operation, right? And only the only people allowed to be here in the church were the filming crew and then the staff um, for the church. And so all the staff had to come around to the front and enter through that gate over there through the courtyard. So the very first day of filming, I'm, I'm excited. This is like kind of new and interesting. And um, I walk up and there's a gentleman standing outside the gate. And I say, oh, good morning. And, you know, I work at the church. And he said, okay, who do you work for? And I could tell, like, there was a right answer to this question. Like, this was my password to get into the building. But i got to be honest. I'm not used to telling people who I work for. I'm used to saying, like, where I work or what do I do. And so I'm a little bit caught off guard, especially with the added pressure that if I answered this wrong, I may not be able to go to work today. And so at first I'm thinking... Do I, t- do I, like, is he looking for the board of deacons? Or should I list them? Should I list everybody in the congregation? I think I work for them. Like, God is kind of the most obvious answer. And then it dawns on me, oh, John Jay, you want me to say John Jay? Yes, I work for John Jay. Oh, okay, great, come on in. And I laugh at that because the way that our staff is, I'm so blessed and fortunate. I don't have a Pharaoh-like boss that we are such a collaborative team. Um, but this question of who do you work for, if I don't keep Sabbath for me personally, I know some of you do. You, you have a boss that is so demanding and that does not honor Sabbath. But for me, my boss encourages it. He values it in his own life and he wants me to have it in mind and he checks it on me. Hey, are you taking your day off? If I don't keep Sabbath, it's because of me. I can be my own Pharaoh, just like the Israelites decided to be their own Pharaoh again, even though God had already delivered them. And it is easy when it comes to Sabbath to just keep that scarcity mentality on. To just do it to ourselves. We don't need external forces keeping us. We can just make it impossible on our own. So we're left with this question then. If God's rhythm is one that is not scarcity, then it feels like the opposite is abundance. But what does abundance look like? We might think in our head it's something like, There's just stuff everywhere and everyone can just have as much stuff and then there's like leftover and there's even waste. But that's not what God does with the manna. There's no surplus. Everyone has what they need. Abundance is not the fulfillment of the unending desire that comes out of scarcity. Abundance is something that looks like God. And it ends that that loop of desire and unfulfillment and desire and unfulfillment takes it right out of the picture. If you have your Bible and you want to turn to Isaiah 58, I know that uh, we read this last week, but I had already planned on reading it, so too bad. (laughs) We'll read it again. I recently learned about this word. I might pronounce it wrong. You can tell me, Ted. It's this word, Hineni. Yeah, Hineni. And it's a word that appears right in the middle of Isaiah 58, right as God is talking about what happens when we don't actually observe Sabbath the way that he's called us to. And what happens when we do? I'm going to jump around, but I'm going to start here. Uh, 
with verse 6. Isn't this the fast I choose? To break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and tear off every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and homeless into your house, to clothe the naked when you see him, and not to ignore your own flesh and blood? Then your light will appear like the dawn and your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. At that time, when you call, the Lord will answer. When you cry out, he will say, Hineni, here I am. This word Hineni, the here I am, it's the same here I am that Abraham said to God, that Moses said to God, that countless figures in the Bible have said to God when he's called on them. And their response, here I am. It's not the same as like when you take roll and you just say here. It means here I am. I am present to you fully. I am available to you fully. I am in agreement with whatever you're about to ask me. Here I am. It's not many times that God says that to his people, but this is one of them. Right in this moment of learning how to practice Sabbath, when we do what God has asked us to do, Hineni, here he is. He's available to us. He's in agreement with us already, what we're about to ask him. There is something beautiful about us being completely available to God and God saying, I am completely available to you. What kind of a God can say that? Not a Pharaoh. Only this God who understands true abundance It says in verse 13, if you keep from desecrating the Sabbath, from doing whatever you want on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, seeking your own pleasure or talking business, then you will delight in the Lord and I will make you ride over the heights of the land and let you enjoy the heritage of your father Jacob for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. When we practice Sabbath, when we live by the rhythm that was always intended for us, then we find the presence of God and he finds us and he says, here I am. When we refuse to really live by that rhythm, then we're missing out on this moment when God is really wanting to be present to us and to be in agreement with us and to know our needs and to say, I will meet them. Later in Deuteronomy, it says, and he humbled you and let you hunger and led you with, fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The manna was their food. And it was only that, but it was supposed to teach them that you're actually not living by yourself alone. I'm giving that to you. You're going to live by the words I say, the things I say to do. That will be where abundance and life are. 
That will be where justice starts to happen, where the kingdom comes. That's abundance. When we're taking care of each other. And then, of course, this verse is what Jesus turns to. It's what he quotes when he's tempted to turn a stone into bread. And in Jesus, we see made human this unforced rhythm of eating and rest. Jesus is going to become the bread that will always fill, that will never run out. And he is going to say, come to me, you who are weary, and I will give you rest. If eating and rest are tightly woven in to this whole picture of Sabbath, then Jesus is the Sabbath right there for us. We follow his rhythm. And then he says to us, Hineni, I am here. I'm available to you. What better picture of God saying that than to send someone in the flesh to say, I'm here. Some of you may be interested in doing some more reading on this idea of food and faith. I have some books up here. But one author has kind of said that there are two stories that we know of our world. One is this story of the market of scarcity. And one is the story of the Eucharist, of the table that Jesus set, signifying his own body and blood. And when we eat in the economy of scarcity and we work tirelessly in the economy of scarcity, then there is not enough. It is consumption. It is death. But when we eat and lean into the presence of God through the rhythm of Sabbath and when we partake in communion, then we are not consuming something that will then die. We are continuing the life that Christ has given us. And in turn, we get absorbed into each other as the body of Christ. And when we feel each other's needs, we have one nervous system and we care about those who lack and we care about those who need. And God provides and there is abundance in that because he is enough. There's something about needing to follow the rhythm of Sabbath that is preparing us to receive the risen Christ. If we can't trust God enough on this day-to-day basis to provide that, how can we trust him to provide Jesus? Sabbath is part of of everything else. It comes first before we can try to follow the other commands or listen to the Sermon on the Mount. That rhythm has to be in us or we will always be pulled back to Pharaoh's rhythm of scarcity. There is life. When we follow that rhythm, if we can't step into the rhythm of Sabbath, then we declare allegiance to scarcity, to the Pharaoh's. And there no doubt is a reality of scarcity that we see on the streets and the people around us. But if we care about that, then Sabbath is how we come together and receive the presence of God so that we may show abundance. And that there also 
is the reality of abundance that God has promised will be the ultimate reality. If you are struggling with finding room for Sabbath and rest, then just know that the stakes are high, that it does matter, that it is important and it comes before the other things and that there will be abundance in that. If we are afraid to trust God that fully, then nothing else will follow that. And as a community of believers, it is our job and our privilege to come together to help each other. And when I look out and see the diversity in this church, I already see the rhythm that was meant to be, that we can do this together. Hineni, here I am, I am present to you. And God says back, Hineni, I am present to you when you will step into the rhythm that I have for you. Will you pray with me? God, we so desperately want to follow you, want to live by your word. Jesus said he is the bread of life. He is our rest. Help us when we are stuck in the death march of scarcity around us when it's too hard for us to trust you fully. We don't want to miss out on your availability to us. We don't want to miss out on what you might have for our neighbors through us. We want to live by your rhythm. Help us to surrender to that and to dance with joy, to let go of the pharaohs and the idea of scarcity that seem louder and stronger. God, would your voice be bigger? Help us to be present to you and to one another. And thank you that you cared enough to be present to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.